I'm excited in the Lord this morning. I believe God has a word for us that's going to change our lives. And in fact, every time God speaks to us, our lives change. We cannot hear the voice of the Lord without our lives changing. And the word of God comes to inspire us, but it also comes to empower us. You know, we've talked so much about dependency upon God. And yes, we must live our lives in dependency upon God. But we have defined dependency upon God as perpetual as the perpetual state of human weakness. And that is not what it is. It begins with our weakness, but then we are strengthened with might by his spirit and our inner being. And we suddenly discover that we are powerful beyond measure. We suddenly discover that, of course, without him, we can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And the spirit of the Lord has been speaking to me again and again and again about strengthening the people of God, empowering the people of God to rise up and to do what God has called you to do, but not only in terms of ministry, but in terms of life, to be what God has called you to be, to have what God has called you to have, to say what God has called you to say, and to go where God has called you to go. And so I want us to pray. I believe God has something to say to us today that's going to take us to another level. And so, Father, I pray this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would begin to move upon us mightily by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would begin to open our ears and cause us to incline our ears to wisdom and apply our hearts to understanding. God, I pray that the word would be yours and not mine, that you would overshadow me and hide me behind the shadow of the cross, and that you would grant understanding to the hearts and ears of each and every hearer this morning. I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I was in Korea, and I began to pray. I said, Lord, I'm so sick and tired of my weight being what it is. At the time, I I had, you know, the heaviest I've ever been was 230 pounds. Well, I stepped on a scale in Korea and realized I was 224 pounds. So I was six pounds away from the heaviest I had ever been. Now, a lot of people, when I say that, they, they look at me, oh, you're not that big. I know you want to encourage me. You know, I know you like me and you love me. But number one, uh, if you ask my wife, she has to sleep with me. You know, she has to live with me. She will tell you, Benjamin needs to lose some weight. Okay. He just, he just got to lose some weight. And the key to it is understanding my blood pressure. You know, the doctor, this year, the doc, my doctor doubled my blood pressure dosage. And uh, the doctor said, you got to lose some weight. You just got to lose some weight. You know, blood pressure and stuff runs in your family. Now, yes, the Lord touched me and normalized my blood pressure, but I have to steward that healing. I have to steward that miracle that God gave me. I can't say, oh, God healed me and set me free to go out and do the stuff that got me in trouble in the first place. That's like God healing you of AIDS and then thinking, yes, I can go have sex with as many people as I want, unprotected. No, you got to steward your miracle. When Jesus healed, he said, now go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So I understood that not only did God heal me, but he expected something of me in response. But I found for a season that I was, my eating was still out of control. I mean, I was eating like crazy. I was eating stupid stuff and crazy stuff. You know, find myself eating with two forks and, you know, and, and I, when I went to Korea, you know, we went to Korea on our sabbatical and the food in Korea is just on another level. It's, it's, it's from another plane. It's, it's celestial. It's, it's heavenly it's of it's divine it's it's from a different dispensation there's eschatological significance i believe the food comes down from the table where abraham isaac and jacob sit and eat in the kingdom of heaven 
And there's something about the chicken in Korea. It's, it's another level of chicken. It's, it's the, the chickens there are anointed. I mean, there's, those chickens got the Holy Ghost. And, and they, 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 just, they, they, they sprinkle some Shaba sauce over the chicken before they serve it to you. You get slain in the spirit when you, get a, when you take a bite. And so I, I decreased the chicken population of Korea by about 25%. You know, uh, and, 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 and so I was, I was eating so much in Korea and I gained some weight when I was there and towards the end of the trip, you know, my clothes were feeling tight and, you know, I got a suit tailored, but, uh, it took him two weeks to make it. And by the time I went back to pick it up, it was too tight. You know, and my, you know, I, I have, see, I have two sets of clothes. I got my regular clothes and my fasting clothes. Well, I was wearing my regular clothes and my regular clothes were too tight. Now, when my regular clothes are too tight, you know, I've done gained some weight and it's not good. And so, you know, I have 17 and a half, you know, shirts that I could barely button, you know, well, you know, I mean, that's, that's too big. You know, that's too much. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. And so I was in Korea and I prayed. I said, Lord, I wish that I could lose some weight. I just, Lord, I, I, I want to be thinner. I want to be another weight. Lord, would you help me? I said, Lord, I want to weigh 175 pounds. And I'm asking you by your spirit and by your power to sovereignly touch my life and, and, to, and, to, and to take me to another place. Would, would you help me become 175 pounds? And the Lord spoke to me immediately and so powerfully. And don't you just love when the word of God comes, when he speaks graciously and powerfully and clearly. You know, when the word of the Lord comes, it comes with clarity. You know, it's not a riddle that you have to go home and figure out. You know, you don't have to get out your Batman Dakota ring and try to figure out what it says. It's, it's not a crossword puzzle. You know, God speaks clearly. And he spoke to me so clearly and so graciously. And he said, son, I said, yes, Lord. Yes, father. He said, you are exactly the weight that you want to be. I said, no, Lord, I want to lose weight. He said, no, you don't. You want to be exactly the weight that you are. I said, no, Lord, I really want to be thinner. He said, son, nobody put a gun to your head and said, eat this or else I'm going to pull the trigger. You better eat these cookies. You cannot tell me that a herd of chickens held you down and stuffed themselves in your mouth. You're supposed to take dominion over the earth. And that includes the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. That includes both the animal kingdom and plant kingdom. But you're telling me that the animal kingdom and plant kingdom took authority over you. And made you the weight that you are now. Stop asking me to do miraculously what I have already released the grace for you to do on your own. If you want to be 175 pounds, you have the power to be 175 pounds. And see, here's the thing that God wants us to know. We can say till we're blue in the face that nothing is impossible with God. And it's true, isn't it? Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. But I want to bring to your attention that Matthew chapter 17 verse 20 says, nothing is impossible to him who believes. Nothing will be impossible for you. 
Nothing is impossible for you. Yes, nothing's impossible with God. How many know that that doesn't help God out when we say that? Lord, nothing's impossible for you. And he's going, I know that. Hello. I wasn't confused about that. Yes, I know. I spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. I knew it wasn't impossible for me. The question is, do you know that nothing is impossible for you? Nothing's impossible for you. But nothing is impossible, he clarifies by saying, nothing is impossible for him who believes. Nothing is impossible to him who believes. He said there in Matthew 17, 20, he says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, be thou lifted up and cast into the sea, and it will obey you. But there's a key here that we have often missed. Last week we were in one of our ten days of prayer, uh, prayer meetings, and the Lord spoke to me and said, Son, I need you to understand that my coming has different methodologies in different dispensations. Follow me. The way in which I come, the methodology of my coming is different in different dispensations or in different ages. In other words, he comes in different ways. Now, he says that on the last day or at the last trump, the trumpet is going to sound and the dead shall be raised. Bam. He's coming in a moment. Bam. In the twinkling of an eye. Bam. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Ah, whatever, you know. All of a sudden, the Lord, ah, you know, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, bang, it's done. The dead in Christ rise first. (laughs) Not bad, huh? (laughs) Jesus described it this way, the end of the age. He said, two men are going to be walking in a field and one is taken and the other left. Bam. Can you imagine you're walking in a field and talking to somebody and they're gone? What in the world? What? Two men are walking in the field. One's taken. The other's gone. Two, two men, he said, are laying in the bed. One's taken. Bam. The other's, the other's left. It's sudden. It's in the twinkling of an eye. That is the methodology of his coming at the end of this age. But in the present age, we are expecting him to come and do things suddenly. But he said to me, my coming in this present age is more like a seed that you plant in the ground and you water. When he said the faith of the size of a mustard seed, he was not talking about the size of the faith. He was talking about the methodology of the seed. Because any kind of seed starts off small and becomes great through a process of growth. When he said if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain, he didn't mean if you just have this little tiny piddly polka dot faith, you can command mountains and they'll suddenly move. He says you can plant that faith next to a mountain and water it every day and it'll grow into a tree that's bigger than that mountain and it'll move it out of your way. But we're expecting stuff to happen suddenly. That in this present age doesn't happen suddenly. It happens gradually. He said the kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman mixed into some dough. 
And over time, it worked its way throughout the whole batch of dough. That's how the kingdom of God works. It works like yeast. Little by little, it works its way. It works its way. It starts off small, but it becomes great. But what happens is we take that little mustard seed of faith and we walk up to our mountain holding the seed. Move in the name of Jesus. And the mountain doesn't go anywhere. And we go, see, this seed is worthless. And we throw it down and we walk away. Because we don't know how to cultivate things. We don't know how to cultivate things. We don't know how to take that seed of faith and plant it and stand over it every day, watering it. And looking at that mountain going, you're going to move. You're going to move. Why? Because I got something planted here in the soil that's going to grow so big, it's bigger than you. My faith is bigger than you. Why do I think my faith is bigger than you? Because I'm not, not looking at the seed in its seed form. I'm not looking at it in its present seed form. I'm looking at what's going to grow out of it. It starts small, but if I cultivate it, if I cultivate it, that's why people come to the altar and they give their lives to Jesus Christ and they say a prayer and then they wonder why everything in their life didn't change at that moment. You read one scripture and memorize it and wonder why that scripture didn't change all of your thought processes. You still cuss. You still smoke. You say, I've been going to church for years. It's not about how long you go to church. The question is, are you cultivating that seed of faith that God gave you on the day you came to faith in Jesus Christ? Is it any bigger? Are you just walking around with a seed in your hand? Because the thing is, if you carry a seed in your pocket, it doesn't grow into anything. It's just a seed. But you got to plant it in some soil and you got to water it and you got to cultivate 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 it. And if you cultivate it, it will grow into something so large that nothing can resist it. Nothing can stand in the way of it. Nothing. Listen, it's not performative. It's relational. You following me this morning? And so God wants you to know that nothing is impossible. Nothing is is impossible. Nothing is impossible that God has given you the seed of faith that you need right now. He's given you the seed of faith that you need right now for whatever you're going through, for, for whatever you're experiencing. He's given you the seed of faith. You got to plant it in the right soil. You got to water it. You got to cultivate it. And you got to patiently wait for that seed to grow. So, amen. So I came home from Korea and I took authority over the animal kingdom. And I took authority over the world, the, the vegetation world. I took authority over the plants of the field. I said, I made a decision. I'm not going to eat just everything. I'm going to eat what I want to eat and when I want to eat it and how I want to eat it. And I'm going to eat according to my want to be 175 pounds. And I'm not going to wait for God to give me a miracle. I'm going to believe that I already possess the seed of that miracle. It's called my faith, and I'm going to exercise it. And praise the Lord, since I've gotten back from Korea, I've lost 13 pounds as of this morning. It's funny, isn't it? You have more power than you think. But the thing you need to understand is that there is a difference between faith and hope. There is a difference between faith and hope. We get in trouble when we begin to, to try to believe for things that we should be hoping for. And we try to hope for things that we should be believing for. Faith and hope are two different things. Faith is always oriented in the now. 
It's a present reality, not a future expectation. Faith is not about what's coming tomorrow at about this time. It's about what I have now. That's why Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you got it right now. It's just a seed. By faith, I hold a seed in my hand and say, look at this tree. Look at this tree. See, I don't see a tree. I see a seed. But my faith, I say it's a, it's a tree. I, in other words, by faith, what I hold in my hand, I see it in its fully mature state and possess it in its fully mature state and say, I got it right now. That's why Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four, whatsoever things you ask for when you pray, believe that you have received them and you shall have them. You hear that? You hear the difference in tenses. Believe that you have received them now and we can put a little parentheses in there even though you haven't. Even though in the natural, you're still broke. Believe that you have received them now, even though you're still driving the same old oil-burning wreck. Believe that you have received them, and you shall have them. My faith is not that I will have it. My faith is that I do have it. My faith says I possess it now. Faith is always a now reality. It is rooted in the present, not the future. Faith, if it is rooted in the future, causes your present to change according to your situations. If your situation is good now, your faith is strong. If your situation is bad now, your faith is weak. Why? Because your situation changed and so your faith changed because your faith is rooted in your situations. But Paul says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. My faith says God is bringing good out of this. So when things seem to be falling apart, God is bringing good out of this. And when things seem to be coming together, God is bringing good out of this. And when things seem like they're staying the same, God is bringing good out of this. My faith is solid. It is stable. It will not move. It cannot be shaken. It is not disturbed by political things that change. It is not upset by economic upheavals. It is not it is not overthrown because of the wind and the waves. Why? Because my faith is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. My faith is in the one who is already seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. It's my faith is in the one who already overcame death, hell, and the grave and the curse of sin over mankind. My faith is in the one who already was born of a virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and who arose again from the dead on the third day. He already defeated death, and so my faith is in the one who already did it. It's not in his... It's, my faith is not in his coming to defeat death, but it's in the fact that he already did defeat death. That because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. I wish I had some black folks up in here. <laughs> I wish I had some Church of God in Christ folks up in here. If I had an organist. Mm, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, my faith is in what has already been done on my behalf, not in what God is going to do. God doesn't have to do anything more and my faith will not move. Why? Because he's already done everything necessary. He's already given me everything I need for life and godliness. He's already caused me to participate in his, in his nature. And he has already given me his good and perfect promises so that by them I might escape the corruption that's in the world through evil desires. 
already. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he who has overcome the world, but he who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Let me tell you something. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you've not only overcome your current situation, you've overcome the world. You have overcome everything. You are already more than a conqueror. You don't need your situation to change so that you become more than a conqueror. You're already more than a conqueror and you're reigning over every situation that looks like it's reigning over you. You got to get that in your head because what tends to happen is as soon as a little trouble comes, we take our God given authority and we lay it down and we go, Oh, I have no authority. No, you have full authority. Oh, God, give me strength. I've already given you strength. God, give me a word. I've already given you a word. Stand on it. Believe it. Have faith. You're feeling weak when you're really strong. You're feeling defeated when you're really victorious. You're feeling controlled when you're in control. Come on, somebody. I want you to get it today. I want you to get it today because the devil has convinced the people of God that we are powerless and even spiritualized it and theologized it. We think it's humility. It's not. It's the relinquishing of our God-given authority. And what God wants is for us to rise up and say, God has given me authority. You know, I'm beginning to learn in this season that God never wants me to have less than clarity. I always thought that I'm supposed to walk through times of confusion. That's how I learned to trust in the Lord. And the Lord has begun to speak to me and say, son, I never intended for you to have less than clarity. The problem is you believe that you have less than clarity. You're so convinced that you're confused that you're walking in it. And so what I've learned is that when I feel confused or when I feel like there's less than clarity, I just make a decision and say, this is it. This is the decision. This is what we're doing. This is what God is saying. We're doing this. And I trust that if it's wrong, God's going to shift it. I just trust I can't go wrong. If it's wrong, God's going to come say, no, son, move over here. And then I'm going to go, oh, this is it right here. Both times I was sure. But so often we're waiting for God to shift us before we'll make a move. And God is saying, make a move and then I'll shift you. We still think it's like the Red Sea where God says, wait for me to part the waters and then cross. When God has taken us to the Jordan River and he says, I'm not parting the waters until your feet step into it. And the difference is that you come to the Red Sea at salvation. The Red Sea is about getting saved. God, when you got saved, God did it. You didn't help. You didn't participate. He parts the waters for you. You just walk through on dry ground. But when you're about to enter into your destiny, like the children of Israel had to cross the Jordan River to enter into their destiny, God says, I'm taking you to a higher level of maturity. You're going to step into the waters with me now. You're not going to wait for me to shift things. You're going to walk and expect me to shift things. And so there's a difference between faith and hope. Faith is always oriented in the present. It's about what God has done. But hope is oriented in the future. It's about what God is about to do. Follow me. Now, I have to say, as we begin to speak of hope, that there is a difference between the biblical definition of hope and our contemporary popular cultural definition of hope. Hope in the Bible and hope in our culture are not the same thing. Hope in our culture is something that's a maybe. 
Actually, hope in our culture is something that's probably not going to happen. Because as soon as somebody says, I sure hope so, what they mean is probably not, but there's a slim chance. Here, young men say, I hope she likes me. Nah, she don't. She don't. I sure hope I get the job. Yeah, you, you probably not. You probably not. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Hope is like a half-court shot in our culture. You know, you close your eyes and just throw the ball. I hope it goes in. Yeah, it ain't. It ain't. It's like a one-in-a-million chance. We ascribe hope to that which is nearly impossible. But we're just grabbing onto that 3% chance in one, please. But hope in Scripture, the way the word hope is used in the New Testament, it is not a maybe. It is confident expectation of what is certainly coming to pass. Hope in the New Testament is like going to a bus stop and checking the schedule and saying it's 4.15, the next bus comes at 4.29, I got 14 minutes to wait, that bus is coming, and you've got 14 minutes of hope ahead of you. It's coming. I'm not wondering, is it going to come? Will it come? I sure hope it comes. No, it is confident and certain expectation of that which is absolutely coming. I mean, it would take something so severe and out of the ordinary to keep that bus from coming. And even then, all it could do is delay what is certainly coming. So then when 429 comes and the bus isn't there, you don't lose all hope and go, Oh, Lord, I waited in vain. I thought the bus was coming. It's 429. It's not here. You call your mom. I don't know what to do. What's wrong? It said 429, and it's 429, and the bus isn't here. Can you come pick me up? Your mom would reach through the phone and slap you. Okay, it's not on time, but it's still coming. Maybe it'll be 431. Maybe it got caught in traffic. Maybe it'll be 435, but it's coming. You know it's coming. It might not come on my time schedule, but it's certainly coming. Now, the problem with hoping in the Lord is that he doesn't give you his schedule. The BART will give you its schedule. AC Transit will give you its schedule, and they may not be always right. I don't know. I don't ride AC Transit. <laughs> but you still go and take that bus. Why? Because even if it may not come when you want it, but it's always on time. <laughs> it's it's going to get me to work. Maybe not in the time frame of my expectation, but it's going to get me to work. I might be a few minutes later than I anticipated, but it's going to get me to work. I can work around that. But the problem with God is that he doesn't give you anything regarded to his time frame. He doesn't say by this date. Most of the time. Sometimes he does. But most of the time when God says, I'll do this by this time. He says it after years and years of, make, of just allowing you to wonder. <laughs> Abraham, you and Sarah are going to have a son. Hallelujah, Sarah. Let's go. <laughs> Seven years later. Okay, we didn't try this the Lord's way. Now let's try it our way. Hope is confident expectation 
that what God has promised will certainly come to pass. Faith is confidence in the fact that it's already done. But hope is expectation that that doneness is going to manifest. And you can actually have faith but no hope. I believe God can heal anything. I believe he can heal cancer. He can heal every disease. He is more powerful. The name of Jesus is more powerful than any sickness known to man. But I don't expect him to heal anything. I got all kind of faith, but no hope. I believe that God is my provider. He can rain down manna from heaven if I need it. He can open up. The, the earth and bring out riches to me. He can send finances from a direction that I don't know. But I don't expect him to send me nothing. But I believe that he can. I believe that all things are possible with God. Yeah, that's faith. But hope says all things are possible for me. In other words, hope is our expectation of the manifestation of what we have believed. Hope is our confident expectation in the manifestation of what we have believed. Hope is our expectation, our confident expectation, that what we have believed is about to become real in front of our eyes. It's about to manifest in the physical realm. I'm not just going to believe that it's up there in the spirit somewhere. I'm going to see it right here. Come on, somebody. All things are possible. Do you believe that? All things are possible for you. For you. In what realm of your life have you relinquished your authority? In what realm of your life do you feel like you're being controlled by circumstances instead of beginning to control your circumstances? In what realm of your life have you relinquished your God-given victory and begun to cry out to God for victory? You know, there are certain prayer meetings that God doesn't attend. I can tell you that from experience. I've had a few. Matter of fact, I had one last week. Nobody was there but me. Literally. Not me and God, just me. I was going to have some time with the Lord, and he decided not to show up. And I'll tell you why. Now, it's going to get a little personal here. It's okay. Because last week, I spent days in the presence of the Lord, going deep in fellowship with God. And he began to speak deep things to me and reveal to me the secrets of his heart. And then last week on Saturday, a week ago on Saturday, I spent the whole morning in prayer. And God began to reveal things to me. And all of a sudden, after a couple of hours in his presence, he began to give me inspiration. And I sat down on my computer. And as the Spirit of God was moving around me, I wrote out the whole sermon. And God said, this is for the ark and living hope. And I created a PowerPoint presentation and it was, I was, I was ready and I had the word, it was burning in me. It was like a fire. And then I got to the ark Saturday night and I looked around. I thought, oh no, nobody's going to receive this. Oh Lord. So now I'm praying during worship. Oh Lord, help me. Oh God, help me. Give me strength. Let me, give me strength. Give me strength. I was already thinking what people are going to think as I'm preaching it. Come on, I'm being honest now. I mustered the courage to get up and preach it. I preached it. 
but I never felt really strong through the whole message. After the message was over, I got in my car to drove home to drive home, and I was thinking, oh, they didn't get it. Oh, they didn't get it. It didn't hit home. Next thought, oh, this isn't going to work at Living Hope. Oh, I can't give this message to Living Hope. Next prayer, Lord, give me a word for Living Hope tomorrow. Give me a word for, oh, God, give me the word for living hope tomorrow. And I got home and got on my knees before the Lord, and I bowed down before his holy temple, and I besought the face of God for a word for living hope. Oh, God, speak from heaven. Oh, God, that you would reveal your word to your servant. And it was just me, myself, and I in attendance at that prayer meeting. The Lord said, you can have that. I fell asleep crying out to God for a word for living hope. I woke up Sunday morning. I said, I'm going to go in faith. I just believe that he's going to give me a word. And I got up to speak. And all that came out of my mouth last Sunday morning, first service, was a half-hearted version of Saturday night sermon. Half-hearted. Fell completely to the floor. Not an ounce of anointing on it at all. I almost said anointment. (laughs) Not an ounce of anointing on it at all. And the presence of God was not manifest in the service. After the service was over, I went into the bathroom. I cried out to the Lord. I said, Lord, what happened? This whole week, I've been going deep in fellowship with you. This whole week, I've been seeking you. And you've been revealing to me the depths of your heart. This whole week, this whole week, you've been giving me secret things and taking me into secret places. Why now have you abandoned me? What happened? Suddenly the Lord spoke to me and this is what he says. Your problem is that you prepared the message when you were in the spirit and then changed it in the flesh. You're asking me for a different word because you're scared of the response of the people. And you're scared of the judgment of the people. And I do not respond when people ask me for things that I've already given them. Because in asking me for a word, you're denying that I already gave you one. You're saying, Lord, the one you gave me is not good enough. I said, oh, so Lord, what do I do? He said, pick up that word I gave you yesterday and go into second service and preach it with all your heart. The moment I made the decision to do that, the presence of God came back. I went into second service, and the Spirit of God started moving even during the worship. I got up, and I felt strong, and I felt powerful, and I gave the word God gave me. Sometimes our experience of the absence of the presence of God has nothing to do with the fact that we haven't prayed enough. It has to do with the fact that we stopped believing what God gave us last time we prayed. We are asking God for a new word, but we've stopped believing the one he gave us last time. Let me tell you something. If you learn anything, it's that heaven and earth may pass away, but his word does not pass away. He speaks and he does not change his mind. When he says you are free, he means you are free. He doesn't mean come back and ask for another dose of freedom two weeks or two months from now. He means that you need to steward the word that he gives you and say, he whom the sun sets free, he is free indeed. And it is not a temporary freedom. It is a permanent freedom because when God gives, he gives for keeps. Hope is the anticipation 
the confident expectation that God will bring to pass what he has spoken. And we see it in Romans chapter 4, verses 18 and following, when Paul speaks of Abraham and he says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Do you see that? He brought together faith and hope. Not just believing and not hoping. And not just hoping, but not believing. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, as it had been spoken to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, and here's the key, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Do you hear that? Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact. We tend to do one or the other. We face the fact and weaken in our faith. Or we stay strong in our faith but refuse to face the fact. I say, I'm believing for my finances. I'm believing that God's going to break through in my finances. My wife says, well, honey, we need to sit down and look at the bills. I said, no, 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 I don't even want to look at it. I'm just trusting in the Lord. I said, well, look, you need to face the fact that we broke. No, 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 no. God is sending something. We've got provision. Let's just go spend. I'm believing for healing in my body. The doctor says, well, you need to sit down and look at your blood pressure. No, no, I don't, I don't receive that report. I received the report of the Lord. The devil is a liar. I know my doctor said my blood pressure is up, but the devil is a liar. I don't receive that report. I received the report of the Lord. I don't even want to hear it. No, you need to face the fact. No, I'm believing. I'm going to go home and flush my medication. You better not flush that medication. Even Jesus told the lepers to go show themselves to the priest. You better go show yourself to the priest and let the priest tell you to flush your medication. If you're really healed, then let the doctor bear witness to it. Or I just face the fact and then forget my faith. Oh, Lord, look at all these bills. Oh, Lord, I ain't got no money. Oh, God, what am I going to do? Oh, Lord, look at these bills. I got no money. Oh, God, what am I going to do? Oh, Lord, the doctor said, the doctor said, my blood pressure's up. My sugar is up. Oh, Lord, what am I going to do? Lost all my faith, but I'm facing the fact. And we face the fact for so long that all we're doing is staring at the fact. Just walking around, don't see nobody or nothing. What are you looking at? I'm, I'm facing the fact. What's that in your hand? It's the fact. It's the fact. Everywhere you are, all you see is the fact. How you doing? Oh, not good. Not good. What's wrong? Oh, brother, I need you to pray for my finances. I'm facing the fact. And the bottom line is not good. Abraham faced the fact and stayed strong in faith. How do you like that? He faced the fact without weakening in his faith. He says, I'm believing, but I'm also facing the realities that I'm, I'm, I'm not walking around in denial. You know, those folks who say, you get a headache. I do not have a headache in Jesus name. How you doing? Bro? I'm good. I don't have a headache. I ain't got no headache. No migraines. I'm not having a heart attack. Don't you call that ambulance. I'm believing. 
had a friend who went to a healing service and said, Lord, heal my eyes. I believe it. I'm healed. Took off her glasses and stepped on them. Hallelujah. I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. Thank you, Lord. Walking around blind in one eye and couldn't see out of the other. But just profess. She's driving around the street. I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm he- Thank you, Lord. I'm believing for my healing. I refuse to submit to this. Put those glasses on until it manifests. Yes, you can believe you're healed. But then wait patiently in hope for that healing to manifest. We're learning, aren't we? We're going somewhere, aren't we? Hallelujah. I'm out of breath now. The preacher needs to take a break. What am I saying to you? I'm saying that you're powerful beyond measure. If you put your faith and your hope together, you got power. Nothing's impossible. Nothing's impossible. But you got to learn to cultivate your faith. And how do you cultivate your faith? Here's the key. It's impossible to believe when you're in the flesh. Whenever somebody says, oh, I'm struggling to believe. Yeah, of course, the flesh can't believe anything. I just don't see how it's going to work out when I look at. Yeah, of course, because you're leaning on your own understanding. As soon as you say, well, I don't see how it's going to work out. It means that it's got to work out according to your understanding or else it ain't going to work out. But Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It says lean not on your own understanding. Meaning, you don't have to understand it. Oh, well, I don't understand how it's going to work. You don't have to understand it. I'm not leaning on my own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he shall make your paths straight. He'll make your paths straight. You got to get my message from Thursday night on the paths of righteousness. You got to get it. I promise you need it. When you put your faith and hope together, they can change any reality. They can move any mountain. But what it will do is give you the patience. The endurance. The perspective. And the joy to work your way through anything. You can make it. You can make it. Why? All things are possible. But you cultivate that in the presence of the Lord. And here's the key. Underneath every component of my faith is the belief, the fervent belief, That I'm in relationship with God, not because I sought him, but because he sought me. You got to get this. My faith is not just that Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection has the power to save me. But that the Holy Spirit drew me to that place of believing. I'm in relationship with God because he wanted me. 
You are in relationship with God because he wanted you. Moses thought he approached the burning bush. In actuality, the burning bush approached him. Moses thought he was drawing near to God. In actuality, God was drawing near to Moses. And you may think you're seeking God. In actuality, God is seeking you. He's looking for you. And if you can begin to believe that, begin to believe that he's drawing me, that he's alluring me, that he's calling me to a deeper place. If I start there and then expect my expectation, my hope, my confidence that every day I'm going to draw closer and closer to him. Why? Because he's drawing me with cords of compassion. He's bringing me to himself. And he's going to make himself known to me. I can make it through any storm. I can walk through any valley. Why? Because even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, I pray today that you would pour out your spirit on the hearts and minds of each of these sons and daughters of yours. That you would establish in us a greater faith and a greater hope. Some of us here today, we've lost our faith because we face the fact. Some of you, some of you have even used language like that. Well, we just need to be real. We just need to keep it real. And you don't realize that what you just did was you just declared that everything that God has declared by his, by his power, by his word, and everything that Jesus did, well, that's not real. That's not the real world. What's real is your problem. Let me tell you something. You want to keep it real? Keep connected to the one who is real. Keep it real. God's still on the throne. That's for reals. Keep it real. All things are possible to him who believes. That's real. That's real. It's realer than your momentary troubles. It's realer than your light and momentary affliction. God's eternal promises are more real than your temporary troubles. You want to keep it real, you've got to focus on the things that are eternal. You know, in the world of investments, there's a whole theory out there. People are saying currencies are being devalued and now people are turning back to things like gold and silver. Why? Because for tens of, for thousands and thousands of years, gold has re retained its value. If you want to invest in something, invest in something that has a track record. But the dollar, its, it's value keeps going up and down and fluctuating and it could tank at any moment. But if you want to invest in something of value, invest in something that's 
always had value long term, not just in the last 50 years. Talk, how about the last two or 3,000 years? Listen, let me tell you something. Your faith is of greater worth than gold. And your faith is of greater worth than gold because your faith is not in a substance. It's not in a situation. It's not in a circumstance. It's not in an outcome. But your faith is in the one who overcame death, hell, and the grave and the curse of sin over mankind. Your faith is in the one who took the keys of death and hell out of the hands of Satan. Your faith is in the one that even death couldn't keep in the ground. He arose from the dead by the power of God. And he was declared to be the son of God with power. According to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. And he ever lives to make intercession for the saints. Your faith is in the one who sits at the right hand of God the father almighty. Who said all authority in heaven and in earth is given unto me. That's where your faith is. And your faith. It's in the fact that that one has come into your heart to make his home with you. To take residence in your heart. And he said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I speak the blessing of the Lord over you today. I know many of you are going through trying times and trying situations. And it's accentuated for you this time of year as we enter into the holiday season. And I speak the blessing of reconciliation over your family over this holiday season. That as we approach Thanksgiving, that God would give you the faith to believe that even those family members that you feel divided from, he's made you one with them by the blood of Jesus Christ. You just believe it. We are one. We are one. You just believe it. But no, you got to look at all of the division between it. No, I'm looking at the cross of Jesus Christ. He has broken down every wall. He made us one. I'm believing it. And then your hope expects God to work out whatever's between you. And that God would give you the love to reach out. To stretch out your hand and say, I'm reaching out in love. Why? Because I'm expecting in hope. And I'm believing by faith. That whatever's between us, it's been removed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're going to have a happy Thanksgiving this year. Some of you dread Thanksgiving because all kinds of family stuff comes out that you don't have to deal with any other time of year. But I'm declaring this year is going to be a happy Thanksgiving. But I want your faith to get a hold of it. Say, I'm believing God has made us one. And I'm hoping God is going to remove every wall. He's tearing down every wall. He's going to manifest that oneness. Sons and daughters are coming home. Estranged family members are coming back together. Marriages are reconciling. Homes are being put back together. Even distant cousins, family members, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers that you haven't spoken to in years, pick up the phone and call. The blood of Jesus Christ has washed away the enmity, I believe, for reconciliation this season and a greater level of thanksgiving than you've ever walked in before in your life. I speak the blessing of the Lord over you today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Come on, stand up and give God a shout of praise. Come on, give him a shout of praise. God, we worship you, God. We adore you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. We adore you, Lord. Come on and worship him. Lord, we worship you. We worship you. Lord, we give you all the praise. Lord, I believe, I believe, I believe. Hallelujah. You know, when I was growing up, we used to sing this song that said, Lord, I believe, Lord, I believe. Savior, raise my faith in you till it can move a mountain. Lord, I believe, Lord, I believe, and all of my doubts are buried in the fountain. You're going to walk in faith. 
and you're going to walk in hope. And because you walk in faith and hope, you're going to sleep in peace every night. You're going to wake up in joy every morning. And you're going to walk in love every day. God bless you, keep you, and be with you. We are dismissed.